I'm Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered, the podcast dedicated to all things younger. This is where we go deep inside the show, asking the questions that you really want answered by the writers, the directors, and the cast. We're bringing you the stories behind the storylines, straight from the makers of Younger. Oh, baby, last night's episode was big. Josh and Claire welcomed a little girl into the world, and Diana basically gave us the meaning of life. I'm so excited to welcome this episode's writer, the incomparable Don Roos. Don, did I say your last yeah, name right? Yeah, perfect. So, Don, what an episode. Good. I mean, a pivotal episode. There's a baby in the house. A baby. A real baby. Oh. A live baby. And it's Josh's. I know. Oh, so many questions. So many things to ask. And we are going to get into that scene in just a little bit. All right. But first things first, you've written several episodes of Younger, and I want to start by asking you to first tell us a little bit about your process in preparing to write an episode of the show. Well, first of all, you got to get into the room with all the other writers at the beginning of the season, and you do something we call blue-skying. What do we want to see this season? What would be great? What loose ends do we have to tie up from the previous season? So you get a lot of really good and really bad ideas floating around the room. What's the percentage of bad ideas? <laughs> About 80% bad. Really? Oh, yeah. you gotta, you got to reach. you got to throw everything up there. That's a good lesson to people, actually, especially in creative worlds, mm. because the majority of the stuff that you ever submit will get rejected. And you're, like, lucky if the stuff gets in. And that's okay, because that's everybody's percentage that they're working with. Absolutely. you got to be brave enough to really bring up the bad ideas. It's an industry of rejection. Oh, my God. And we, re- yeah. we accept that. We do, because all the other industries are worse. <laughs> so right? true. Um, so let me ask you, where did you start with this episode, and how did the story develop? Well, we knew we had some ends to tie up. Because at the end of episode one, we find out that it is Josh's baby. And we kind of wanted to get that baby story done early on so that we could see what kind of man the baby turned Josh into. So we knew we would have to have the baby early. So that was going to be in episode two. And we knew we had to tie up the whole Quinn coming in and installing Kelsey. How is that going to work out with Kelsey? So those were our two big ideas that we had to take care of. Well, speaking of that, in this episode, Kelsey is having a really hard time standing up to Quinn to the point that she's worried she can't even do her job. So she's tapping into something everyone has really felt at some point. It's called imposter syndrome. I experience it every single day of my life. You didn't have to tell me what it was. (laughs) I know it. So talk to me about how you bring real and relatable emotions and experiences into these characters and storylines. Well, that is a very easy uh, syndrome for writers to understand. I mean, we all feel that way walking into a new room. This is an old room, and then we still feel it. Like coming in, are my ideas going to be right? Is Darren still going to like me? Does he like somebody else more? Is this really mediocre, that I, what I'm doing, what I'm pitching right now? So we all feel like I don't know. You're afraid of being exposed as, you know, you have two voices in your head. One of the voices, if you're a writer, is you are the most amazing. This is going to be genius. You are so great. And then you have the other voice saying, you're you're nothing, you're horrible, and they're going to find out today. So it's the battle between those two voices. You've got to kind of figure it out every day. And so Kelsey is really in the thick of it. Yeah. So let me ask you, where or what are you drawing from when you're writing for these strong female characters? Well, I, I think it's the same as if you're drawing from men, for male, you know, for male characters, I think. I don't, I don't, but I'm pretty female. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I'm pretty I male. that way. We meet yeah. each other out here. Exactly. <laughs> well, that was going to be one of my questions is, is there a difference in how you approach writing uh, the female and male characters specifically on the show or not at all? 
Not really, except uh, Charles is a different person than every other person in the world that we're talking about because his role has been codified for him. His his gender role and his role in society has been laid out for him and codified and over many, many, many years. So he has kind of less freedom of reaction and movement than all of our other characters. Like Josh, as a male character, is very free and very liberated. He's not protecting a position in society. You know, he's just very responsive to mm-hmm. the world. But Charles has other duties and responsibilities. So that's really the difference, writing for Charles versus writing for the other characters. Also, let's talk about the storyline with Zane and Kelsey. So it seems like Zane's ability to be in a relationship with Kelsey is kind of tied directly to how he's doing in his career. As Lauren puts it, his dick is attached to his ego. So is that a real thing that you think a lot of men experience? I guess. I mean, I'm just making stuff up. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I think it's it's Zane. It's definitely Zane. He's got a real uh, ego. And I'm sure he doesn't want to be seen by Kelsey when he's not at his strongest or his best. So I think he's avoiding her. But I have no idea about whether that's true for uh, straight men or gay men or whatever. I mean, the only thing that gets in the way of my sex life is television. You know? <laughs> Same. <laughs> In this episode, Charles and Liza have their first night out as a couple at a very fancy New York public library event. So we've heard from the cast that party scenes tend to be involved and long and sometimes like these grueling shoots. What was your experience on the set during that specific shoot? Yeah, they are. They they're, are, They're right? long. They're really long. And everyone has to be there because they're all going to be seen. They have a little scene lit each one of them. But they have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait the whole day until we get to their little portion. And then they may have to do it again in the background of another shot. It's really tedious. It it looks good. Darren always likes a party. Every episode just got, where's our party? Where's our party? <laughs> We're like, you know, publishing is not that glamorous. <laughs> You're not, not that not, many parties. Not that many. But he loves a party. And it is fun to get everybody together. I guess a party for us is sort of like um, the coffee shop was in Friends. I mean, everyone will get around. Everyone will have, you can have scenes with people who are in your personal life and your work life. Your personal life can meet your work life. They're fun for that reason, but really a drag to shoot. It's very, very long. How much longer would be like, let's say a a big party scene over like just a, a scene with like, I don't even know, like four of the cast members? Four of the cast members, you could do a party scene in in half a day or four or five hours of shooting. But the one that we did here took the entire day, and and all the actors had to be there early at the beginning of the day. So we were probably there for 14 hours on that day. We have a very friendly, lovely cast. There's there's always a little panic, not among the actors, but about the writers, if anything— has to change. Like at that party originally, it was supposed to be at the library, the New York Public Library. And then we couldn't get that location. We got some other location. So it's a, it, we couldn't even mention, according to the the agreement, we were unable to get them to sign. We couldn't even mention that it was a library function, the library function. So all the lines, we had a million jokes about libraries. All of that had to be hurriedly rewritten on the day of. And so that is stressful. Wait, is that normal for like a location to get pulled like in that short of a time frame? Well, yes. It can, they can drop out the day before. They can drop off out really early. But I think we had more notice. And it's my fault. I just showed up on the set. and I'm like, oh, we can't say this joke anymore. Oh, we can't do this joke anymore. Oh, we have to have like, it was very, very uh, stressful trying to come up with something that was funny to replace the library. Life of a writer. It's not easy. It's not all glamour. And then, of course, you never have a pen. You never have a piece of paper. You can't think. People are yelling at you. <laughs> it's not good. 
So how do you handle these quick changes in the script? Because, I mean, I know this that was specific to you, but this happens all the time, right? Like last minute things come through, either from higher ups or like you said, like location changes. So how do you guys pivot on such a tiny little dime? Well, every time you are shooting a scene of Younger, the person who wrote the scene is there from the beginning of the day until the end of the day. We don't just come in for rehearsal. Sometimes we have to, if we're up in the room breaking stories, like sometimes we'll be shooting episode two and we haven't really figured out the end of the, of the season. So we have a writer's room here in New York too. But anyway, first we start in L.A., work in L.A. for three months, and then we come here. And the goal is at the end of the three months in L.A., we have all of our scripts. If we don't, we come to New York to start to shoot one, two, three, and four. And meanwhile, we're scurrying around writing 9, 10, 11, and 12. But normally, we're all done by the time we get to New York. And then the writer of that episode has to be there from call, which is like 7 a.m., because that's when the actors rehearse. The The actors get there early. They get there like two hours before we do. Three hours sometimes if they have elaborate hair stuff to do. So what time are we talking they get there? 4 a.m., 5 a.m. So they come to at call, call time, where most of the crew shows up at call. They arrive half with their makeup half done or their hair in curlers or whatever, and then they rehearse the scene. And that's where you find out when lines aren't working, a joke doesn't play, an actor may have an objection to a a line, because sometimes our lines are, are pretty, you know, bold or... I don't know, not political really, but they can be edgy. Could you share a time? Do you remember a time when there was a, an actor that wanted a line taken out? Well, we had an, a, a, an instance this past week. You haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. But where one of our actors didn't, we had a Time's Up joke. It was making reference to Time's Up about something else. And she did not want to use Time's Up for, um, for a joke purpose. It's too important. So we agreed. Wow. Another time I wrote a script and one character said, oh, that's a ballsy move. And then our first assistant director, who is a woman, wrote and said, I wonder if you could change ballsy because you're ascribing male characteristics to something fantastic. And, and maybe it can be a more neutral phrase. And I thought, you know what, that's a really good point because our language is really important. If yeah. ballsy is the thing we all want to be, aren't we all say, if we attach that to men, aren't we all saying we all should be more like men? Yes, absolutely. So there's small, tiny things like that, but I think they make a difference to our show. So we change when we think it's right, we change, and our actors are, are very smart. So again, that's why it's so pivotal that you guys are actually on Gotta set. Gotta be there. Or, yeah, because you, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. And also, if actors change the lines themselves because it might work better for them in that moment. They don't know that maybe we've built something around that. Maybe there's a reason why we have to say it a certain way. So they And they are great. Our actors will come up to us and say, Do, can I say that instead of which? Can I drop the and at the beginning of this sentence? They're very, very respectful. And we appreciate that. That's so nice. And then when do you wrap? What time? You have to wrap the actor's so that they have a turnaround. They, they need a certain amount of hours for rest and recuperation and whatever. So we try to do like 12-hour days. Wow. Well, it's really 13 because we have like an hour for lunch. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. You know what? It is hard being a star. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, they, they work harder than anybody. Whew, they work goodness. much harder than the, the writers do. You guys work hard too. We do, but it's spread over more time. They, for the three months that we're shooting— They're concentrated. It is rough. And sometimes it's outside like we had scenes— you know, at in we're shooting them in February. I know. And we, but we want it to look always like summer. Well, that's the thing. So that's a question I just have in yeah. general, but specifically for younger as well, especially in New York, because there's so much outdoor activity. Um, 
Like, why do you guys even bother shooting in the winter? I know. <laughs> why? Is it a scheduling thing you it's have to? It's a scheduling to? thing. We've got it. Shoot. So Kelsey will be standing out in, in like a miniskirt or, and, you know, it's it's very cold. Yeah. Really cold. There's there's a scene in, I think it's in episode one where she is. No, it's in episode two that we shot after the cheering section. You know, the little part where Laura Benanti does a cheerleading yes. thing? Okay. Yes. Then they go outside in the street. And that was like in February. It was freezing. It was really cold. There were paparazzi who oh. were interfering. I remember this. It was this. a really bad, bad uh, moment of shooting. But when you look at the scene, you're like, oh, my God, that's great. They're, Spectacular. They look fun. They, this is exactly what it should look like. Let's talk about the gender reveal party. You seamlessly wove in commentary on gender fluidity with such sensitivity and such relevance. It's something we see often on the show. Why is it important to you to address that in this script? We have a lot of young writers in the room who are really politically aware. And a lot of us didn't even want to have a gender reveal party. We thought, why should we be doing gender reveal? Why is that the most important question that, you know, a baby is coming into the world and let's all get together and, you know, celebrate whatever gender we've decided or, you know what I mean? You know how it is now? I thought the exact same thing actually when I was watching the episode. I was like, I'm so surprised they even did a gender reveal because it does ascribe to these like social norms of the past. Exactly. It's of the past. But a lot of our audience is still very much into which gender, what, what the gender is. So we want to be respectful of our audience. And then we were like, the only person who could have done it was Lauren, but she's the last person who would have a gender reveal party. So we had to be very careful with the dialogue so that she was saying, I know this is outdated, but it's also a great Insta story, and so we'll do it. You know, she had to have a different reason to do it. Yeah. I mean, the way that you guys did handle it was, was genius, actually. Oh, thank you. Because at first I thought, I'm shocked that yeah. they're going to have this. And then the way it worked its way out felt very like you guys were you're in the zeitgeist, per usual, as always, you know, and you just handle it perfectly. And also, I feel like, you know, the writers, the cast members, everybody has that same vantage point, And it felt very authentic and true to the show and also to people off the show as well. So mm-hmm. I really, I respected that. Well, that's really what Younger is. Younger is about two generations. And we have to respect and speak to each one. We have to talk about the millennials and we have to talk about the the boomers. Do the writers discuss these kind of touch points before you start scripting? Or is it something that you just kind of, um, you're cognizant at the time of? No, we discuss everything ahead of time. We know where all the danger points in the stories are. We understand what we have to steer around and we have to protect our characters. You know, it, Charles in this season does um, some financial things, some business things that could be perceived as a threat to um, Kelsey and Liza's friendship. We have to make sure we give him good reasons for doing that. We really have to – we spend most of our time worrying about protecting our characters mm-hmm. because you can come up with a million different stories. But – but it doesn't always fit with the history of the characters or where we want to take them or who we really feel they are. So we got to be got to thrash all of that out beforehand and we do thrash it. There's arguments and And so obviously there's those touch points when it comes to the script and the narrative and where it's going to go, but also when it comes to these touch points like in the zeitgeist, like in the either in the world, do you guys think about the issues and you like to address them and weave them into stories or is it the other way around where like they pop up and then you have to weave them into the stories? I think they pop up and then we have to to weave them in. Uh, We don't ever sit down and try to do anything political. Like, let's make a statement about, you know, gender reveal parties, right? No, but once that idea floats up, once we think, oh, that's they're very popular on Instagram and I keep getting invited to them. And then we think, well, what would our in our world, what would that look like? How do we handle that? 
And that's exactly how it felt. I loved it. I really did. Bravo. And then, of course, we've got to address the fact that Claire goes into labor at this party and gives birth in the back of a car, assisted by Maggie. So we're going to revisit that scene later, like a total deep dive. But at the end of the episode, we get this beautiful weaving together of the storylines with Diana's column over it all. Talk us through the end of the episode and how it came together as you were writing it, because there was a lot going on over the narrative of Diana. We had a couple of stories that we had to finish in Act 4. You know, the scripts are usually four acts. There's a big Act 1 that has to end. I'll just tell your listeners, maybe they're interested in how it works. Act 1 has to end um, kind of with a promise. Boy, you want to tune in and see what happens in Act 2. Act 2 is where um, that also has to have a big Act ending, Act 2. Act 3 is where most of the stories come to their climax and get resolved. And then there's usually an Act 4, which is usually very short, maybe one or two scenes, a final way we want to leave a story or leave the audience or leave our characters. So Act 4 is very short. 1, 2, and 3 are our big our big acts, which always have to build to something at the end. So we had a few things to tie up, a lot of big things. Liza had to see Josh with the baby. The baby is so important for Liza because it's one big reason why she never went with Josh. She never went with Josh earlier because she didn't want to deprive him of having children. So, and now she's with a guy who has kids. So she, another reason she never went with Josh was because if, if he wanted kids, she didn't want to have to be a mom again. She had done that. Here she is with a man who has kids. So she's got to be in a mom role for those kids. And now Josh has a baby. So we knew we had to see Liza see Josh with the baby. We needed to see her face. Let's talk about that face. What's behind those eyes? What's behind that look? I think a lot of it is, oh, this is why I didn't uh, go with him. It's because I was going to deprive him of this, and now he has this. So there's that thought. Okay. There's also a thought, oh, there is suddenly another woman in his life more important than me, this little baby girl. That's why it had to be a girl. So those two things are playing on her face and also just pure happiness for Josh, but she won't be the one going home with him to share that happiness. So a lot of things are on Sutton's face when she looks through that hospital window. Donna, I'm going to cry. Yeah, she did a lot of them. Let me ask you, too, do you direct her towards those subtle nonverbals in her face or is that something that Sutton just innately does and knows to do? Sutton does it innately. She has it all. We rarely go... I don't think I've ever gone to an actor and said, you know, here's what we're hoping we'll see on your face during this moment. They all know. They're the real custodians of the characters. You know, they know far more about the characters from the inside than we do as the writers. So I don't think we've ever had to to do that um, to to the actors. They know. When she was acting it out and then you see it in Final Cut, were you like, thank God – Amazing. That matched up exactly with what the journey I wanted her to take on her face in those subtle, like, what, three seconds? Have you ever had an actor go a different direction? You're like, wow, I didn't even think to go in that direction. Oh, they often give you more than you bargained for. I mean, if an actor did exactly what you imagined, then it wouldn't be a great collaboration. Mm -hmm. They're always going to be slightly different, more or less or different. And that's part of it because... We have our own limited imaginations, and we want to add our imaginations to the actors. So there's never been a, a time where we've gone, oh, they've got, they didn't get me. If they didn't do what I imagined, they imagined something else. And that 
is part of the collaboration of a writer and, and actors. We all have a role. It's so cool. How did you approach writing that actual column for Diana to read? It had to work for two people. It had to work for Diana's story, and it had to work for Liza's story. Right. That was the challenge of that piece. What can I say? You know, for me, it's always, how do I fill that actor's face? What is the thing I want them to be saying that will create something on their face that the audience will respond to? Because the audience almost responds to uh, an actor's face more than what they're saying. So you have to fill that face. You have to give the actor a line uh, that will enable their face to be a certain way, you know, as they react to it. So mm-hmm. it's always that question. How do I fill the close-up? So you want to make sure that what you're writing will land on the actor's face when, when you cut the film together. Also, how did the cast react to the monologue when they first heard it at the table read? I was in um, Deer Valley when they did that because I hadn't – they got to New York before I did, mm-hmm. uh, the other writers. So I heard it went well, but I have no idea. I think it did. I think it did. It looks good. When it's all cut together. It's so good. And it sounds so good. It's so moving. Diana has a very moving season this season. Just That's a little spoiler. But oh, yeah, she does. There's a lot happening for our Diana. The depths that she gets to go to are just incredible. We're very happy with her and with Chris, I mean, who plays Enzo. Mm-hmm. They just feel good together. They have great chemistry. They do. I may or may not have already shot my episode with them for getting younger. And it was fabulous. It was. I was like, oh, excuse me, do I need to leave? Hello. I loved it, though. They really like each other, too. Oh, they're awesome. They are. They're such good friends. Yeah, that's yeah. what we like about it, too. On the set, they're, it's fun. It's fun to be down there. And now going back to looks of Liza. So the very last moments of this episode gave us a look from Liza that we're starting to recognize. Mm-hmm. It's becoming very familiar now in six seasons of the show. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty there. So when you write a scene like that, what are you imagining is going through her mind? She's always 100% divided. She had an experience when she pretended to be younger, and she had this fatal error on the very first night uh, when she pretended to be younger of meeting this guy, mm-hmm. Josh. And then she has gone on with her life and she's met this other great guy whom she loves and, mm-hmm. and he loves her. But she is always divided, just like the the show is always divided. There's Brooklyn and Manhattan. Yep. There's the young people story and then there's the um, older people, the 40-year-old stories. There's that divide there in the whole show. And Liza is the complete personification of that. There is a part of her that is always going to be wanting to be with Josh and that young life. That's what she decided to do. She wanted to live a young life. So there's a huge part of her that still wants that. But Charles is great. He suits her. He matches her. He loves her. When you see Peter Herman play those scenes with Sutton, he's always, like, madly in love with her. Oh, madly. Yeah. I mean, I'm at a point now where I'm super divided. I don't know what I want for her. Yeah, we're all divided. Right down the middle. We don't know what is going to happen. I can't wait to see. I hope it takes you 100 seasons. Me too. (laughs) Um, Well, that brings us to one of my favorite new things about this podcast. So we're going to take a deep, deep dive into one scene from the episode, and we're going to talk about Claire having that baby in the back of that Uber. Okay. Okay. Epic scene. Good. I'm glad you liked it. So first, take us through what's happening in the scene, in your words, like start to finish. Well, there's just been a gender reveal party, Mm -hmm. and the balloon has flown away, so they don't know what the gender is, and Claire says we're not going to have to wait to find out because the baby's coming now. So they have to rush and get her to the hospital. Hospital. They call an Uber. Maggie has got a five-star rating because she just does. She overtips. But she has a great rating. That 
her Uber comes, and she's the one who's riding in the Uber on the way to the hospital. The baby's being born. And we thought it would be funny, since Maggie is the one who's most familiar with the vagina of all of our characters, she just is. It would be fun to have her kind of almost traumatized by this incident. (laughs) So we wanted her in there. You would expect her to be... Uh, Very cool and calm and chill about it. She's the oldest of the female characters. You know, she is the one with the most experience, has lived the most. And you would expect her to be a real kind of earth mother about this delivery, and she's not. I expected her to be right in there. Like, Mm -hmm. I know exactly what's going on, and instead she's freaking out. It's a chink in her armor, definitely. (laughs) And then we wanted a little callback to the... um, the episode in Ireland we did in season, the end of four. Yep. They go to Ireland, and Maggie has an affair with Claire's mother. So we wanted that line in. That is not actually my line. That is Grant Sloss's line, I think. And oh, wow. it made us burst out laughing in the room. <laughs> and many times we thought we should cut it, you know, but we finally left, let it in because it's too funny. What made you think you should cut it? First of all, it would be hard for the audience to remember that story. Oh, so I, there was d- a, I, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and we're referring to a character we haven't seen for a long time, Claire's right. mom. But um, but no, we left it in because it's just too perfect a line. And you know, that scene is not, of course, shot in a Uber car moving through traffic. That was shot on our stage. And the car was surrounded with these bright fluorescent green screens so that we could later replace what is being seen out the window, which was green, with an actual uh, you know, streets and cars. So that was shot inside the studio. So it wasn't as hard to shoot as it looked like it was no. to shoot. It, it was looks still, impossible. No, it was still in a car, which is very cramped. But we could open doors to get cameras in and, and that kind of thing. But it wasn't moving at the time. So what are the logistics, though, of everybody in the car? You know, because like you said, it is so tight. It's tight. Some people have to be out. Like the Uber driver has to be out sometimes because that's where the camera is going to be. Right. And then the, the the girls in the back are out because the camera would be pointing at the driver. So you kind of really have to – it's complicated. Yeah. And then, of course, there was all the screaming and the yelling. Was it as hard as a party scene? No. <laughs> no <laughs> nothing is nothing. harder than a party scene. The challenges are it, – it's an emotional scene. We've all seen that scene before mm. with babies. So you wanted to make sure all the comedy – came out of it. That was the biggest challenge. You're yelling and you're screaming, but you also want it to be funny. And, and that was just an acting challenge, not so much a direct, certainly not a writing challenge, but a, but a directing and acting challenge. Well, how was the cast throughout shooting? Were they having fun or was... Yeah. <laughs> yes. Debbie had a lot of fun. I was going to ask specifically she about really, Debbie. She really enjoyed screaming and, and reacting and having a big out of, sort of out-of-character reaction. It's a, a surprise that Maggie cannot handle this. And that plays out in later episodes. In episode three, you'll see what witnessing this birth has done to Maggie. Now, as a writer, what's important for you when you were going into shooting the scene, what to make sure to take from the script and make sure to get it on camera? A scene like this where people are yelling and everyone is sort of speaking at once, it's you really need the lines clear. So a lot of times directing that scene is kind of stop and starty. Um, There's yelling, 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 screaming. Everyone's quiet. Well, then Maggie delivers her line because you want that recording clean. So it's very difficult for the actors because they're always uh, like acting and then be quiet on this line so we can record it clean. And then you have to get the – your next line is a really high level, but you've just been quiet for, uh, you know, 10 seconds. So it's going to be harder for you to get up there. And then they'll be quiet. It's technically – it's really annoying. For, for the actors. <laughs> and then you mentioned the director. So as the writer, how do you work with the director on set? Well, this was Stephen uh, Suchita. I always say his name wrong, and he's given me tutorials about it. <laughs> Tsunami Suchita. Suchita. <laughs> anyway, he is so collaborative. He is really nice. 
he likes to shoot a lot. He likes them to go again and again. He does a lot of takes trying to find other things that could be in there. Very, very patient, really fun guy to be with, and really collaborative with the writers. I think all of our directors are great because would you like to do your job with someone sitting next to you saying, oh, I think we could do better, or maybe that she didn't get that laugh right. Can you ask her to do it again? I mean, it's a lot of notes yeah. that the writers give the directors because we kind of know what we want for the whole season. Mm -hmm. We kind of know what this scene means in the context of the whole season or the whole series. So we have a lot of opinions. And our directors are really, they're very strong, but they're very collaborative. But they must get tired of us. <laughs> Impossible. Think, no, I think if you did a podcast with them, you'd see, you'd hear. Well, we might be. You might be. All right. <laughs> if they're honest, if they're honest, they will tell you it's got to be frustrating for them. I actually, because of the way that we shot everything this season, I got to read the scripts uh -huh. before I got to watch the actual episodes. And it really is crazy the things that you would shoot. Because I know the cast as an, a fan, as an audience member so well. So I could even see the scenes and how it would play out in my mind. And then to see it happen, like in real life on camera, it's like Different. when you see your favorite book turned into a movie. That's and right. it's like you have something that you're like, oh, I would have done that differently. Yeah. So I can only imagine when it's your baby and you write it, how married to things you are. And then you kind of have to just like let them go. Oh, you do because you get far more than you lose always. You know, it's like looking at a blueprint and then walking into the house. You know, that's the difference between the script and the screen. You, um, you know, it, it's, it's dead on the page, really. It just is you know, notes and plans and ideas. But then when you see what the actors bring to it, what the directors do, the lighting, the, the RDP is wonderful. It is a completely different experience to see an episode than to read a script. Absolutely. If you read a synopsis of a play, you're like, oh, I'm going to hate that play. It yeah. sounds awful. And then you see the play and it's engaging and riveting and and that's the difference between a script and a... Well, and your scripts finished. are riveting. Oh, let well, me just let you know. You. They were fabulous. Um, and also, before we wrap this deep dive into the scene, let's talk about Maggie's reaction to being in the quote-unquote splash zone. She's not really okay with that, no. is she? No, she's not. <laughs> no. No. I have to ask, did you know about Debbie Mazar's actual uh, real-life experience with watching her mom give birth? No, we did not know that when we wrote it. If we'd known, we might have changed our mind. We wouldn't want to re-traumatize her. Um, but did you know it on set that day you were shooting? On set, she told us about it. <laughs> what did she say? I, she told us the whole thing. I don't remember the exact story, but she was there. I think she was like eight or nine. Yeah. And, and she uh, was very Mother Earthy, if memory yes, serves right, which yes. is totally not a surprise with Debbie I'm being sure like that. I'm sure she was, as an eight or nine year old real person, much more calm than her character is in Younger. Totally. Yeah. A thousand percent. Well, before I let you go, I want to ask you the five questions I always ask every younger writer. Number one, how often do your own personal experiences end up in the script? For me, not very often. Because I don't have these experiences of a 27 or a 28-year-old. Now, Ashley, our writer, Ashley Skidmore, she is younger. It's a biography it's of a her diary. life. <laughs> yes, it's, it's her diary. She, ha she comes in and tells us these stories, and we're like, all right, hold on while we get our notepads out, because this is going to be in the show. But from my, from my perspective, a uh, 64-year-old gay male, there are not too many stories from my life that end up in younger. Were, was there one? Never, they can think no. of? Uh-uh. Wow. Not one. You are like, you might be the only writer who is a virgin in that regard. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you very much. On your virginity. <laughs> Number two, what's your favorite scene or line that you've written for Younger and why? Well, I can't remember any of those. I really can't because it, it all just kind of, you know, it melts together in my mind. Mm -hmm. I will tell you my two favorite moments from this episode. 
are the clapping, the cheerleading thing that Laura Benanti does at the end of, I think it's Act One, which was a genius idea, but not mine, from Alison Brown. We had a song. Originally, she was going to sing a song. She was going to sing an ABBA song, Take a Chance on Me. And then in episode one, we decided we would put a song in that one. And we did. So Darren's like, well, we can't have two songs. I mean, it's going to look like we have no ideas. I'm like, well, we have no ideas. (laughs) I'm out. Well, now we want to turn this into a musical theater production. I said, but we need something out of character for um, the Laura Benanti character, Quinn, to do. Something that's weird because we have only seen her one way. She's this really tough businesswoman. And we wanted to show a different side of her. And Allison goes, well, maybe it could be cheerleading. So that's where that scene came from. It was a genius idea for another writer. And my favorite line is the one we just talked about in um, in the Uber. You and I have been the only two women in the world inside my mother. <laughs> it's a great line. That was Grant's. Oh. Most of our episodes are kind of uh, a lot of moments are given to us by the people in the room. It's very collaborative. And so even though our name is on the script, it shares a lot with our other writers. We I all, love that. Yeah, it's great. Um, third question. Have you ever had to fight for something to get into an episode? Yes. Yes. Do you remember what it was? No, I don't. I can't you give you an the example. remember the emotions of the fight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Darren will give you notes and he says this line will go and then I forget to tell someone that that line should be cut. Because he always has a chance to cut it in the, in the editing room. <laughs> There's a few sneaky things like that oh. that we do. You can – he is very responsive to fights, to like you saying, no, 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 this is important. He's always deferring, especially if it's passionate from a writer. He thinks – you know, his belief is if it's that passionate to you, there's got to be something in there about it. So he'll listen to you. He'll listen. So we fought for that. We fight with um, Carl Frankenfield, our producer, if he wants to. Like, I just had a fight with him this week. He's the greatest over a song. It was too expensive. But as of now, I won that fight. But I had to, you know, whine, pout, flatter, cajole. Didn't threaten, but I was very peevish. And, <laughs> and but... You know, he's got to make a lot. He's got to say no a lot because our tastes are very expensive and our budget is very small. The music alone, I mean, even up to episode two, there's been so much music. I can't even imagine. I mean, even the song that introed this season six episode. It was like, I love that song. All of it is expensive. And he's always, you know, facing down requests from the writers. Well, can't we do this? Can't we go there? So, yeah, you have to you do have to fight a little bit. Uh, number four, which character would you most want to hang out with in real life? In real life, Liza. Okay. Why? In a way, she's the cheeriest and the, you know, she's the most mature in some ways. Um, Kelsey would scare me because she has so much ambition and energy. Maggie, no, Maggie is too undisciplined. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure she folds her laundry. Um, Lauren is too wild for me. Uh, no, I, Liza is just right up my alley. I have a feeling that she would be sitting on the couch watching Netflix at night, I think. Right up your alley. Yeah, right up my alley. Last but not least, what is the best thing about working on this particular show? I would say the people, from Darren down. It is the most wonderful writer's room. You know, I took a job in between this. Uh, I, I started in Younger on, on season four, and then I had a great opportunity to go into another show, which I won't mention. And I did. And I left that to come back to Younger because the experience of working with these people is unbelievable. They are so loving and fun, and working is a dream with them. 
And then the, you go downstairs because we, you know, we work upstairs in the writer's room. You go downstairs and the crew is fantastic. And then the cast is fantastic. And, you know, you can go through a very long career. I've been in this business for 35 years. This is the best job I've had. I mean, because we, of the people. we hear that sentiment, but you've like really said it. And I'm starting to understand what a unique situation it really is. I feel so blessed that I get to work with you guys in this capacity. I mean, really, it's like I feel like you guys really take a lot of concern when it comes to who you let into this world because it's so important to you guys because it is such a safe family. Yes, it is. It is. And it's rare. And I've, you know, after a long career, you realize how rare these kinds of jobs are. The next job I take will not be like this. So we have to keep it going. Don, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So wonderful. And thank you for giving us some amazing insights into making this episode. I cannot wait to see what's next and what happens now that Younger has a little baby. I'll be back after next week's episode and every new episode to discuss it all. I'm Taylor Schrecker, and this is Younger Uncovered.